0: Our first reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 12, which can be found in page 1095 in your Bibles. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them by what power or what name do you do this then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed then know this you and all the people of Israel it is the By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Please open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We'll be reading verse 11 through 18. Starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, So, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, we give you this time in worship. May the words of your scripture come alive. May they pierce our heart and our soul and our mind. Father, may you instill a fire in us that leads to change, that leads to repentance, that leads to growth. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. Amen. Uh, This morning, um, we will be talking about these two passages, the passage from Acts and also the passage that we just read from John chapter 10. They also tie in to Psalm 23, which many of you are familiar with and where our call to worship was taken from. And I've titled this sermon, The Rejected Shepherd, because as we know from the story of Easter and Good Friday, that our shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, was in fact rejected. And and, and initially, it first got me thinking about what makes rejection just so difficult. We all know what it's like for someone to reject an idea, an action, a thought, a deed. And that's okay. It's sort of a normal thing of life. You know, little things come and go. And in the right context, it's even understandable. But outright rejection, those ones that really pierce our heart and our soul, can really stick with us. They can last for years and years and and create pain and hurt that lasts for a lifetime. You know, and and, and many of us in this room know what it's like and can remember the first time we really felt rejection. I confess, um, I am a, a fairly normal guy and my first rejection I remember came from a girl. You know... Some of us had had this happen more times than others. And to those who have never been rejected, you are lucky. I was not. In the United States, we have middle school, which is 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And before you go on to high school, at about age 13 or 14, you have this awful thing called a middle school or a junior high school graduation dance. And they make 13-year-olds dress up and actually ask a date to this dance for forced socializing. And for someone like me, who was a bit of a late bloomer, I didn't really have any friends that were girls, nor had I really ever talked to girls. Um, I was in the art classes. I liked drawing comic books. I would still play with toys and G.I. Joes with my friends and Ninja Turtles. And so I remember hearing at 13 that I had to talk to a girl and engage in forced socializing with a girl. I think at that time, I would have rather probably died. But, so it goes. I remember there was a girl in my art class who was sort of kind of nice and and maybe smiled at me once. And so I decided I would ask her. Now, I had no idea that this girl, in fact, was one of the most popular girls in school because I had no social awareness. (laughs) And and so, 13-year-old Sam, being totally unaware walked up to one of the most popular girls in my junior high school and asked her if she would go to the graduation dance with me. The response, as you can probably predict, was giggling and laughing and running away with her friends. It was sad, it's true. But to be honest with you, it stuck with me. Why did something so shallow and so insignificant stick with me? Because something about that exchange and that interaction made me feel like I was not good enough. I felt rejected. Sadly, it was not the last time in the the, the dating world. But what the thing is about rejection that's so powerful is that it doesn't just tell us our actions are wrong. Something about rejection inside of us makes us doubt whether there's something about us that is wrong. Is there something inside of me that's not acceptable? Is there something inside of me that's broken? Am I not good enough? Rejection actually takes us, that real stuff that sticks with us goes to the core. It makes us wonder if we're ever going to be good enough. It makes us wonder if we could ever speak up again. It makes us timid. It makes us shy. It makes us fearful that it would happen again. And when I think of the passage from Acts chapter 4, I immediately wonder when he writes, quoting Psalm 118, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. How must Jesus have felt being rejected by the very people he came to save? It sheds new light on the passage in Luke 19 when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem because he knows what's going to happen. You know, in, in, in masonry terms, if, if any of you have forgotten or are not familiar, the cornerstone is the stone that is set by which all other stones are measured. The whole building is, is leveled and built off of this stone. And we know that Jesus becomes of great importance, but at that time, imagine how he felt. At that time, imagine what was in his heart. I almost can't bear it. the reason I love these passages so much is it gets us to a very human side of our Lord. That he knows the pain we feel in rejection. He knows what we go through. Jesus was worthy. He was strong. He was capable. But for some reason, the people, the builders, rejected him. It says in Acts that, that Caiaphas was there. That Caiaphas was there before the apostles. If you remember, he was the one who had a vision and missed his chance. God even spoke to him and he misunderstood. And in John 10, our passage talks about Jesus talking to his disciples. And just before the passage we read, he talks about that he is actually the gate to this pen. He is the only way in and out, and those who come in by another way are thieves and robbers. This is the passage where Jesus says, I have come that they might have life, in verse 10, and have it abundantly. But they don't understand. And so he continues and he gives us one more analogy. He gives us one more metaphor. And he says, listen, the hired hand, imagine this. Says disciples, imagine this. The hired hand doesn't get it. The hired hand would not stay with the sheep if a wolf came. Because they're not his sheep. He's going to protect himself. He's saying, that is not me. I am the good shepherd. I am the owner of these sheep. I love these sheep. In verse 14, he says, he is not a hired hand. And that tells us not only that Jesus is interested in us, but that he knows his sheep. He knows you. Psalm 139 says that he knows everything about us, all of our days, the hairs on our head. I mean, just think about that for a second. And I know we know this in our heads, but just meditate on that for a second, that the same God who does all these wonderful things we think about, knows you intimately, knows you dearly. And then in verse 15 to 16, he says, not only do I know my sheep, but as a hired hand would run away, I lay my life down for my sheep. I put myself in front of the wolves for my sheep. And he says, not only my sheep, but there are more sheep. He says there are more sheep, because remember he's talking in John 10 to, to a Jewish audience, he's saying there are more sheep, and I need to go through this thing, I need to go through this harsh, terrible rejection, that those other sheep would also know that they would become sheep of his pasture. And so Jesus says he voluntarily lays his life down for all of his sheep, the Jews and the Gentiles, that he would lay his life down and take it up again. And this is what we saw at Easter four weeks ago. This is what we were reminded of when he said words like these, that he would die for you, that he would be raised from the dead, and that he would sit at the right hand of the Father. So then, consider in this world who has the ultimate authority. What has happened with our Lord and Savior as he sits at the right hand of God that he has the power to bring you salvation. And as I was talking about with the children, not just the people in this room, but John 3.16 says the whole world. So then what does this mean for you and for me? How does this affect my life? Well, to start out, I would, I would first say that we need to know that in fact Jesus was who he said he was. He is the way, the truth, and the life as he said in John 14, and if you have not proclaimed him as your Lord and Savior, this morning may be a great time to start. You have nothing to fear. He is a good shepherd who will lay his life down for you, who will care for you, who will protect you, who knows you. And if you have questions about that, and if you've never made a decision for Jesus Christ, I don't say this often, but please come and talk to me after the service. Talk to a friend, talk to an elder, talk to someone about it. I I know there are people in this room who have not made a decision for Jesus Christ. And if you have questions, please talk to someone. But for those of us who have believed, for those of us who are in the fold, for those of us who say, yes, I believe Jesus is who he said he was, worldly rejection will come. Worldly rejection will come for us. But know that it is from a lesser authority than our Savior. And that when we are rejected for the sake of Christ, whether it be our belief, whether it be loving others who no one else is loving, whatever we find ourselves doing, if we are rejected for the sake of Christ, the way Christ was rejected, we then are mirroring and imitating our Savior. It makes us more like Christ. And and so think about it. What was it about Jesus that got him in so much trouble? I mean, what was it about Jesus that made them want to kill him and reject him? His teaching was fairly simple, but people just didn't want to hear it. And this is something I want to remind us of. Even though Jesus is loving and even though he knows us, the gospel of Jesus is kind of offensive. I mean, Jesus says that he is the only way, that he is the sheep gate, that he is the only way to know God. And this gospel, this gospel, though it is good news, it makes people mad. Because it affects our systems we have set up to understand the world, doesn't it? We do our hardest to set up paradigms and systems to understand, to make sense of everything that happens in the world, to to understand truth and to hold wisdom. And Jesus says that he is the only way. And when people hear this truth, it challenges them. And some people turn and reject it. And Jesus says in Matthew 28 before he leaves that we must go and do the things that he did. So brothers and sisters in Christ we are called to emulate the rejection of Jesus. We we must be willing to, to be rejected for our belief. We must be willing to stick our neck out a little bit. And know that we may be rejected. That it may lead to pain and it may lead to tears. That we might be willing to stick ourselves out there for what is true and what is good. Knowing that we will be rejected as he was. Because the question becomes, if we are rejected, what does that matter? If Christ is who he said he was and rose from the dead on the third day, conquering death for you and for me, then what, does, what difference does it make? God says he has accepted those who are faithful and those who believe. Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, you know that your hope is found with him for all eternity. And if you hear his voice as he says, I call my sheep and they come in, he welcomes you in. And while the world may reject you, your heavenly father does not. In a popular argument these days, as many has heard, is this idea of universalism. That some way, somehow, everyone will find their way to God. I, I just don't see that in the scriptures. Let me be clear. The terms are the same for all of us. If the gospel is necessary, that means we have all sinned. Right? I say this all the time to young men and women as we talk. If you think you can go you know, five minutes without Jesus, surely with hard work you can go ten And and surely then, if we can go 10 minutes, we can go an hour. And if I can go an hour through hard work and discipline, I could even make it a day. And before we know it, we've begun to convince ourselves that we, in fact, are in control, and that we, in fact, have control over our lives. But the nature of sin is for all of us. It is a disease that affects all of us, and it must be cured. And Christ is the only one with the power to cure it. We are all sick, and we are in need of the physician, Jesus Christ, which is another analogy he gives us to encourage us. Not only is he a good shepherd who cares for us, but as we are sick and needing a doctor, he says, I am here for you, and I have the cure. See, people don't like thinking about Jesus as the only way or that God might reject anyone because they say it creates division. It creates those who have Jesus and those who don't. No, it doesn't. A true understanding of the gospel is knowing we all need Jesus every single day for everything we've ever done. There's no us and them. There's only the sick. And that is the person you pass on the street. That is the person sitting next to you in the train. That is your neighbor who doesn't even know you go to church. That is your coworker who has no idea that your Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. And those who choose not to believe, Those who choose to reject it will find this offensive. Similar to those who rejected Jesus. But hear this. If you come to Jesus with a humble heart, if you come to Jesus seeking repentance for all you have done, God does not reject you. The world may reject you. The world may think you're weird. The world may think you're odd. The world may not accept you. But God does not reject you. Have you admitted recently how much you need Jesus? You may be a Christian your whole life. When was the last time you just simply said, Jesus, I need more of you today. I'm not going to worry about reading my Bible. I'm not going to worry about doing everything right. I just want to feel welcome, to feel loved. And once we get to that point, and once we realize we need Jesus every minute of every day, then we have the bravery to stick our neck out there, as 13-year-old Sam did, who had never even really talked to a girl, be brave. Because rejection may come. You may share your faith with someone and they may laugh at you. I remember talking with someone in this church who recently left who was an astrophysicist. And she said when people found out she was a Christian, people would sort of just look at her with a look of pity. They'd tilt their head sideways and just sort of, oh, poor thing. But it didn't stop her. It didn't stop her from proclaiming her Lord and Savior at work and letting people know she was a Christian and telling them why. We must be one in Christ, and to be one in Christ, we must all be sharing it with the world. This is the hardest part I think about being a Christian in the modern world, is sharing our faith. We must be living the truth of Jesus Christ in our lives. You know, a couple of organizations in the U.S. have studied this. And the reason I said, I hope I didn't offend anyone when I said that your parents don't do this. In the U.S. at least, over 50% of regular regular church-going people who profess themselves as Christians have never shared their faith. Have never gone to someone and said, this is who my Lord and Savior is and this is why I believe in him. And what's amazing about this to me is that this is something that Jesus says is non-negotiable. He doesn't say it's a good idea. He doesn't say, hey, if you have the time, go and try this. In the book of Matthew, I believe it's chapter 10, maybe 13, right around there, he sends out the disciples and he says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves and they will reject you. It will not go well for you, but I am here for you. You know, another study, what's really interesting is recently, people always talk about young people and how young people are leaving the church. Well, the young people who are staying in the church, they say that over 60% of people 30 and under in the United States are sharing their faith more than ever before, meaning that over the majority of Christians are regularly sharing their faith, regularly. Now, I don't know exactly what they mean by regularly, but it says that over half, 60% of Christians are sharing their faith. And they're celebrating this, which is great, but why is it only 60%? Why is 60% a win? Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is what Jesus said. The last thing he said to his disciples before he ascended to the right hand of God to take his place of power was go and make disciples. Why is this such a struggle for us? We are called to share the good news, but we are afraid of being rejected and mocked. Hear this. Rejection does not change the power of the message or the messenger. If you are rejected, they are rejecting Christ, not you if you are rejected they are regret- rejecting the truth of christ but it does not take the power of the gospel away from your lips and your heart any rejection you may experience as a christian unifies you with christ and emboldens you all the more because you know what can they take from me i've been laughed at for sharing my faith and at the time it hurts And I think, I never want to do this again. This is why I don't do this. (laughs) You try it and you step out and you realize this is why I don't do this because it hurts. But you have great power. You have a great message. You have the thing that can change this world. When you read the news stories and you hear about the violence and evil in this world, when you read stories about men abusing power and abusing women, you have the power to change it you have a great message. And if you do fail, when you do fail, know that failure is not always a bad thing. Because it doesn't affect your worth and your value to God when you preach the gospel, regardless of what someone says in response. We know that we are made in the image of God. We know we are his daughters and his sons. So then, when you consider your rejection, consider Christ's rejection first. First, Consider what Christ endured. The gospel of Jesus can be really offensive to those who are prideful. The gospel of Jesus can be really offensive to those who hold fast to worldly wisdom. But as Jesus says, we are called to lay our lives down. We are called to give our very selves the way he did. Because he laid his life down for you that you might know. And that the rejection of this world is not something that's ever going to feel good. But it's certainly not something we should fear. Don't fear rejection. And if you feel God calling you to act here and now, do it. If you think of someone, you think, you know, I would love to tell them about Jesus. If you think of something, you say, you know, I've always wanted to help in this way or serve in this way, but I've never done it. Do it. What could happen? So you get rejected. So, someone tells you, oh, you're a Christian. Eh, That's too bad. Who cares? I mean, what can they do? Our souls have been made eternal by the God of the universe. What can they do? You will be seen as loving and caring and generous by those who are humble, and by those who are proud, you will be seen as offensive and narrow. Those who boast wisdom in the world will look down on you and judge you, but those with tender hearts will welcome you with open arms. How many of you have ever been successful in controlling the opinion of anyone else? It doesn't work. Remember that a failure does not define you. A failure when preaching the name of Jesus Christ makes you more like Jesus Christ. So go forth each and every one of you has been given something amazing, an inspirational gift, a word of encouragement, some idea, some special inspiration from the Spirit that you have been afraid to do. Fear not, for the Lord your God is with you, and his mercies are new every day. Please pray with me. Lord God, we come before you now as your people. We admit that we are scared. Lord, I admit I am fearful. I don't like rejection. I don't like being laughed at. Lord, I repent and ask for forgiveness of the times I have kept silent when I should have said something. Yet, Lord, today is a new day. This beautiful spring has reminded us yet again that there is a new day, there is a new harvest. And that we have a chance, Lord, to shine your light to this world. God, may we live in your truth. May we live in your power and in your wisdom, knowing that our hope is with eternity in you, not in this world. God, may we be gracious. May we be loving. May we not be judgmental. May we not hold others to a standard that we cannot keep. Lord, we need a doctor. For we are sick. Come and heal us. That we might share that healing with others. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who is above all. Amen.